This is episode 44 of the Landscape Photography Show, and in the last podcast, that's episode 43, we talked to Ryan Dyer, and this week we're talking with his wife, Candice Dyer, who has phenomenal thoughts on landscape photography in her own right. So I wanted to get her perspective on photographing the landscape, how it differed from Ryan's take, what it's like photographing together, but I also wanted to hear a lot about her journey into photography and also how she gets a lot of this inspiration from her history and art history and it's something that I've always been fascinated with and honestly it wasn't introduced to me until very recently when I spoke with Erin Bobnick in one of the first episodes of the podcast how she talked about different styles of art inspiring different landscapes and how she would frame up different areas of the globe and Candace and I talked in this conversation about some of the same things, but more so about specific artists who inspire her. And that was really fascinating to me. And it actually opened my eyes to a lot more ideas for framing up a landscape and having meaning behind an image. And one of the places this interview takes us, really interestingly, is a journey down history in how Native Americans in the United States viewed landscapes and how they named different things and how that can inspire us also to look towards a place. We also discuss things like preserving the environment and how we can protect the places that we love to go. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? And welcome into today's episode. We have a really fun conversation planned uh, with Candice Dyer. And, and Candice, honestly, when I was reading about you on your website, you know, on the about me page, I was getting really excited for this conversation because it seems like you have a strong background, not only in photography, but also an interest in nature, preservation, conservation, and also art history, which is something that I always find fascinating, bridging the gap between different types of mediums being that painting, drawing, photography, all those things. Why don't we get started, though, in, in hearing that question initially of, of how you got into photography and really into nature photography as kind of your niche? Well, thank you for having me on, for asking me on. Uh, so I got into photography. It kind of landed in my lap. Um, I was a territory manager about... 11 or 12 years ago in retail. Um, and I worked around cameras a lot. And I, uh, I would work with the SLRs teaching people about the different features, but I didn't actually have one myself. So mm -hmm. 
it was just kind of a goal for me to save up and get one. I thought it would be cool to eventually get one, but I wasn't thinking that I was really going to necessarily do anything with it. I just thought it would be cool to take pictures here and there. So eventually I saved up enough money. Um, and then at a local bus buy, uh, got it on with one of their service plans and was able to, to pick one up. It was a entry level, I think Canon XSI to uh-huh. start out. And I just started taking it with me on hikes, but I was also, um, and I think I mentioned this, uh, in another talk that I had a little while ago. Um, I had some issues. I, I've got pretty bad anxiety in general, but, um, I was struggling with depression at the time. And, um, and so that, was just kind of an outlet for me, I guess you could say, um, when nothing else was really um, seeming to to kind of get me through the day. It just seemed like that just kind of was what made me feel something, if that makes any sense. I'd mm-hmm. get out there with my camera, go hiking, and it just, I, I don't know, I just kept wanting to do it. I, it, it seemed like I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and so it wasn't just that alone. Um, it was also, uh, I found a community that was very supportive with it. And, uh, and that is the social media aspect, how that came into it and just people being very supportive, giving me feedback and, and it just kind of went from there. Um, I know of several other people who have similar stories, actually, as far as that goes, actually my husband, um, you know, he was going through kind of a rough time in life as well. And photography kind of fell into his lap in a similar sort of fashion. He didn't have the, uh, the retail part <laughs> yeah. of it, thankfully. But so, yeah, that was kind of what got me into it. Now, what about your background in art? Kind of how did that develop uh, on its own? So I have a degree in art history. Um, I focused more on the modern art aspect. Um, And that is, so I guess the best way to explain it is that when I'm out shooting and when I'm processing photos, um, sometimes I'm able to kind of see different elements um, of art within the photo. They kind of Uh, whether it's impressionism or romanticism, luminism, that that depending on the photo that I'm taking will kind of come into it. It usually comes into it afterwards, Um, but it's not, uh, art history itself was not what led me into photography, if that makes sense. When I I was uh, majoring in art history, I had no idea that I was gonna end up liking photography. I thought (laughs) when I was in college that I thought I was gonna end up being a curator at the time, um, not realizing, you know, I would be in debt for the rest of my life and, you know, that I'd need a doctorate for that. And I ended up having, um, I ended up having a daughter after getting my degree as well. So my life plans kind of changed up a bit. Um, but, but yeah, art history, um, I'd say the, the elements, the influence there is found afterwards when, um, when I'm processing photos in particular, it seems like, um, there's just, there's certain things, certain aspects that'll come into play, uh, while I'm doing that sort of thing. I don't know if that makes sense or not answering that. 
Absolutely, it does. And and I do, I want to come back to that a little bit later. Um, first, I, I want to hit on what you talked about with anxiety and working with photography in that sense of, of almost, if I can use the word grounding, if that makes sense. Um, what is it like for you when you see that right photograph and you just start working the scene and you've been having a rough time with that? Uh, so if I'm struggling with an image, you mean like if I'm processing and I'm just not happy with how it's coming out, is that what you mean? Kind of like if you've been going through a difficult time uh, and you feel a little bit more anxious, but you do see that right photo is what I'm getting at. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, I think a, a good example is, uh, so um, when my, uh, I, I had a, <laughs> three family members passed away within about two months. Um, this was a couple of years ago, I think at this point, it was um, mm. a year or two ago. I'm, I'm losing track of time at this point, but I lost my, uh, my grandfather, great uncle and great aunt all within just a couple months of each other. And, um, and I got really down from that. Uh, and I noticed in my photography that you could actually kind of see that. Um, mm -hmm. An example was uh, I took a trip to Olympic National Park and it was really moody, foggy sort of atmosphere with the trees. Um, and I ended up sharing an image with, uh, there was like a, a bird within the shot as well and just two trees in the middle, really dark, moody, foggy. And I thought that that kind of evoked how I was feeling. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't even a shot that I took at the time. I just went back through, was looking at images, and then I noticed that that one really resonated with me um, and what I was feeling. So it's not always like what I'm taking photos of at the time. Um, a lot of times it's if I'm feeling really down or... Um, emotional, I'll go back through my images and I, I see one that just kind of sits with how I'm feeling at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. Absolutely. I don't think there's really with something like that. I don't think there really is a, a right or wrong. I think it, it it's more along the lines of this is just how we adapt and how we deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because a lot of times uh, if I really get in a bad place, I don't even want to, to be involved with social media for a while. I just kind of take mm -hmm. a break. Sometimes I'll take a break for a month or two. And while that might not be good for like the business side of things, I think sometimes it's just good for you as a human and journal, I, I think it can be a bit much for some people, uh, especially if you struggle with anxiety, um, because there's this element there where you're focused on what other people are doing and sharing too. And as much as people might want to say, I don't do that. I'm just focused on myself. I mean, you're seeing what other people are sharing and everybody's kind of, you know, that you get caught in this trap of comparing yourself to others. And so I try to pull away from that. And I find that pulling away from it for a while seems to go and it seems to be a good thing. It makes you, um, it, it's almost like a reviving sort of thing. 
Uh, I find that sometimes the best images, uh, the best art that you share is when you're in a lower place, but you're also um, not focused on what the masses are doing. Uh, you just kind of need to pull away from that sometimes. And, and it's not, you know, it's, it, it's nothing against anybody else or anything. It's just, it's uh, for your own personal mental health. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's so funny. You talk about that now, Candace, because, you know, just today I was thinking, I've been looking at it too much. Uh, it gets me down about kind of what I've been creating lately. Um, I struggle with some anxiety too. I, I don't think any anxiety is really the same. Um, so I'm not trying to like compare mine to yours or anything like that. But I think that when you let off of social media, you stop being defensive about what you're creating and almost go on the offensive of, you know what, this is how I'm going to tackle this. This is how I'm feeling. Uh, and, and this is how I'm going to express myself. Right. Yeah, definitely. It's when you're just focused on your art and what you were doing at the time, um, and you kind of pull away from anything hectic that's going on, especially with, uh, with, you know, Facebook as an example, I mean, you, you get stuff thrown at you everywhere and there's a lot of just depressing stuff going on and it can be hard to, to feel like you're sharing, like if you share anything positive, then I, I don't know, I almost feel like guilty sometimes, like maybe I should be sharing something that's sad, like everybody else, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it's just, but then at the same time, you know, you need to remind people that, you know, there's, this is beautiful, right? This is what matters. This is kind of a haven, a refuge from all of the craziness that's going on right now. Right. And so there's, there's that aspect of it as well, but yeah, every now and then I'll just kind of disappear <laughs> from for a while. Uh, and I, I think that I recommend that for other people as well. I think it's just good for your brain. I was reading a article recently about how infants deal with stress better if they're in nature more, um, even if they have like bare feet on grass in the backyard, it's a grounding technique for them. And it's a calming technique for a lot of people. Is that kind of what, nature does for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, no matter how I'm feeling, if I, I have just found that no matter how low I get, uh, if I can get away in a forest somewhere or up in the mountains away from people for even just a few hours, that it kind of resets my, <laughs> my brain. Like it just, it seems to, um, as my daughter puts it, it recharges her batteries. That's what she says. Mm. Um, she's like, mom, I feel like my, my batteries are recharged a lot of times when we go out for hikes. Um, and it's so, I mean, just kind of reflecting on what you were saying for infants. I mean, it's for little kids in general, they need that. It's really important. We're not meant to sit confined in a building for eight hours a day. We're just not, we weren't like, we didn't evolve that way. So it's important to get outside for a while. Otherwise you, 
I think anybody can become kind of, you know, antsy or, or start losing it. Right. Where's that lost along the way though? Cause I feel like there's a point in, in, in a lot of people's progression or journey where that just drops off. Where it drops off, uh, just you get used to being inside. You mean like, this is what I have to do. This is my job. So it's even that, or just caring about yeah. places. Yeah. Um, the more disconnected that we become as humans from the natural world, the less people tend to care, you know, the more removed you become from it, the, the more removed you are from it. Um, you, you don't seem to even realize that, that it's, it's a big issue that something is being torn down or, you know, that certain things are disappearing, that they're being, you know, monuments obviously being, um, taken away, that sort of thing, or downsized people just, they don't see the importance in it if it's not directly affecting them. Right. So, um, I have noticed with a lot of people, there's just the mentality that you need to protect your own, protect your family, um, and, uh, protect your, your income, you know, and if it, as long as you're okay in your own household and, and your family unit's protected, then you have this sort of bubble around you. Right. But, um, um, I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, and you know, it's, it's reflected right now with everything going on too. Um, this whole, unless it affects me, that's not really happening. Right. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's the best answer to what you were saying. I was reading through, uh, your bio, your about me page before we jumped on and, what was interesting is normally when I do that, Candace, I'll read through people's bio and, you know, it'll be, I won this award. I, I got started this way. Uh, yours is extremely selfless and it's all geared towards viewer experience. Why is that? Well, first of all, I'm sorry that you were looking at my website because it's real. I need to update it terribly. Like it's, it's there's photos that are just sitting there that I need to upload. So um, <laughs> it's really a work in progress right now. But to answer your question, um, yeah, I'm not big on myself. I just um, and this is where I'm going to sound like I, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on here or not, so I probably shouldn't. Um, but <laughs> this is where it I'm saves me a lot of editing time. I'll put it that way. Okay. I'll catch myself. No, yeah. but I, I don't want other people to think that me saying anything is, um, knocking them in any way. This is all about, this is about myself. So I'm just going to say that first, but I don't want to come off as being, Hey, look at how awesome I am. Um, because I'm not awesome for one. And also who really cares? Like, do you really care that I won some award here? Is that gonna, what's that gonna do for you? It's not gonna do anything. I'm, I didn't make this website to be like, Hey, look at all these cool things that I've done and won for my, you know, whatever it is in my house to put up an award somewhere. Like, I, I don't get the point of that. Um, my goal is just, I want people to care about nature. I want people to care 
about pr protecting it, preserving it so that it's still there for our kids and for future generations. If I don't, you know, if, if that's not conveyed through what I'm doing, then it doesn't matter. None of it matters to me. And so that's, that's what the about me is because that's what I'm about. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't care about anything. That's why I don't have a media section, which, um, I started to put one up on my website uh, and I was just like, uh, I, I don't know where all I'm like found online or what different articles <laughs> I've done or whatever. And do people really care? I don't think they do. I'm not that interesting. So that's just how I feel about it. And that's, that's probably my anxiety talking right now too. I, I don't know. Hopefully that answers your question. Are you able to carry that confidence of, of helping people literally what you just explained to me into the field when you are creating an image? Um, when I am creating an image, I think that the most important thing for me is to try to, to have it make an impact on somebody. Mm. So whether that's sort of an emotion, like a story or something emotional, that's ultimately what I'm trying to, to get to come through, you know, if it's an image of an, uh, a bear wildlife. Um, I think there was a shot of a raven that I took where it was, you know, you're looking directly in its eye. Um, it's about a connection, you know, so I, I'm just trying to, to make it, I, I would like for the viewer to feel some kind of connection with the photograph. And that's really all it is for me is if you can feel that connection or if you can feel something, anything at all, when you're looking at the photo, then I feel like I've, I've done a pretty good job then as far as what I've tried to, to put out there. If not, you know, it's, it's just a pretty photo then, right? It's just a pretty sunset or, or whatnot. But ultimately it's just, it's all the, the main goal is just to have somebody hopefully feel something when they're looking at it. What does it mean to you knowing that somebody does feel something and, and could even cause them to act and, and take action against, you know, uh, for preservation or, or climate change, anything like that? That is to me the best thing that I, any feedback, I, I, if I get a message from somebody that says, hey, you know, thank you for, for sharing this. I'm gonna go sign that petition or I'm gonna go reach out to my senator and I'm gonna, you know, go pick up litter in my area. You've motivated me, you've inspired me. That to me is the best possible thing. <laughs> like that, even if it's just one person, that you've made an impact, right? It doesn't have to be a big crowd of people. You've made an impact and then that person might go tell somebody else, right? It's like a chain reaction sort of thing. Um, I, you know, I stopped eating meat, uh, a while back and I'm not going to go, you know, be preachy about that sort of thing because that's not, you know, obviously it doesn't help anything, but I had somebody, you know, every now and then I'll just share something about, Hey, I found this, you know, option that looks really good. And somebody reached out to me saying, Hey, I tried that impossible burger. That was really good. Thanks for telling mm -hmm. me. I didn't know that existed. That sort of thing, because, Hey, you know, reducing your red meat consumption is the best thing you can do to curb your carbon emissions. So, you know, it's just little things like that, whether it's cleaning up litter, signing a petition, um, doing something 
for conservation, uh, that makes me feel awesome. That to me is the best sort of feeling. Hey guys, I just want to pause real quick to tell you about a great opportunity for you to improve your photography. Right now, all of my courses that I'm offering are 33% off. You can go to my website, davidjohnstonart.com and click on the Learn tab and every single one of those courses in the Learn tab is going to be 33% off for a limited time. That includes everything hosted on my site at davidjohnstonart.com and also outsourced to different sites like visualwilderness.com where you can go and find multiple resources and categories on how you can improve your photography both in the field and in post-processing. Again, those are 33% off for a limited time if you use the code DAVID33 during checkout. Those are going to help you improve your photography both in the field and in the digital darkroom. What have you seen in first-hand accounts when you first started going out and exploring, especially in your area? I know y'all are probably going out frequently into some of the same spots over and over. First-hand accounts of what you've seen an impact with um, not only human behavior in the outdoors, but also climate behavior and how that's shifting? Oh, um, <laughs> that's a tough question. So I think one of the, one of the things I've noticed is uh, in terms of climate change, the glaciers retreating, um, there's obvious evidence of that just going to Glacier National Park. Um, and then just seeing people in, in terms of humans and their impact, um, seeing people just throw their trash everywhere too mm -hmm. is just, it makes me not want to go to certain places anymore. You know, Glacier National Park is one of my favorite places on the planet. Um, same for my husband. And it's, it's really hard because when I first started going there, it just seemed like the place was kind of virtually empty in terms of tourists, you know? Uh, and then the Instagram age came <laughs> and I'm not going to blame it all on Instagram because I blame myself too, because I shared on Instagram, but it seems like, you know, the, the sort of selfie and nature generation came along and everybody's there now. Um, to the point where, you know, the traffic's backed up on the road, people are dumping garbage off the side. Um, and it's sad because you also know, you know, the rangers will even tell you when you're there that the glaciers are going to be gone. And, you know, I think they said like a decade or two, they're going to be gone. So what's called Glacier National Park will literally have no glaciers. Um, so that's very obvious evidence of something like climate change, but then our impact is also very visible when we're there, not just in people dumping trash, but also, um, you know, people not knowing how to behave around wildlife, people just walking up to animals like mountain goats or, you know, whatever it is out there and thinking that they're at a zoo or they're there for their entertainment, that sort of thing. It's just, it's pretty sad. <laughs> I hope that that's a good example for you. Absolutely. Does it elicit anger or sadness? Uh, both. Um, you know, it's, I get angry, but at the same time, I know that doesn't help anything. And it's, 
it's hard to stay angry uh, at people who are just totally ignorant um, because the truth is that the people who do that sort of thing um, where they just <laughs> dump their stuff outside or go up to an animal, whatever it is, the truth is that they just weren't taught how to respect nature. Uh -huh. uh, I was lucky that I grew up with parents, especially my father, who taught me how, you know, priceless it is and how it's to be respected um, to dispose of my trash properly uh, and to respect wildlife. Um, so that was something ingrained in me from childhood. A lot of people, you know, grew up in the city or um, you know, maybe never went out to it. This is like their first time ever experiencing anything even remotely like that when they went out to glaciers. So it kind of closed off. Right. And then again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with that disconnect. You know, if you're not connected to nature, how do you know how to behave? Mm -hmm. how, you know, what is, how do they know? Right. If it's, if you're not, it's all about education. Right. How do we as photographers, post or talk to spark that change? That's why I try to, um, I think it's important that I don't do this for every image that I go and share on social media, but, you know, very frequently if I share an image, especially of a place that's, that's very fragile, um, you know, I'll, I'll mention something about it that people should know, or, um, if there's something going on, like, I think I've, I've posted an image before uh, from Utah when everything was going on with the, the monuments there um, under attack, just that awareness. So people know how important it is. A lot of times people just don't know they're, they aren't informed about it. So I feel like it's my responsibility to, if I have any kind of platform, which, you know, I don't have a big one. I'm not, I don't have like millions of followers or anything, but I feel like I have a responsibility having any kind of platform to make some kind of a statement to create awareness about it. Otherwise, why am I doing this? Because if it's not there in 10 years, this beautiful place I like going to, what the heck does it matter, right? It's just, so letting other people know in any way that you can, whether it's via social media or having discussions with people, you know, I, I mention it to people during my workshops too, um, just things that are going on. So that's, that's, I think the most effective way of doing it. Some people don't like doing that. You know, mm -hmm. some people are just like, I'm just going to share my pretty photo. I'm not getting into this. <laughs> and, you know, because the thing is, the sad thing is conservation becomes a political statement and it should never, it should have never been that way. In my opinion, it's about, you know, I feel like, why are you doing it as a nature photographer then, right? Like, what's the point if you don't want to protect it? That's just my take on it. That's a really good question. And I honestly don't have an answer for it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of photographers that just want to see something pretty and point a picture and put it out there. And I don't know if it's to get, you know, a pat on the back or what. I think that's really where... Um, your true colors come out though. If, if a place is being attacked and could very well be taken away, you know, uh, it's monument status or just uh, 
who knows what will happen in terms of, you know, certain national parks that we have. Uh, I just feel like if you don't stand up for it, if you don't speak out, then what was your goal in the first place? Like, did you just want to throw out a pretty photo or I, I don't, I don't understand beyond that. It's, that's, that's the most important thing of all is making sure that they remain for people to enjoy. That's how I see it. Are photographers held responsible or is it self-education? Hmm. I think that you should definitely be educated on it. Mm-hmm. And that's that again, it's, some people are just entirely ignorant about it, right? They, I think that there's people who just feel like it's not even possible for certain places to go off the map, for certain places to um, disappear, right? And it's taken for granted. And um, it's scary because the more people kind of have this attitude like that would never happen. It's that they couldn't do that. It, then the easier it is for it to happen, I think, if that makes sense. It does. And and I think I would be remiss to not mention this in that it doesn't matter how long you've been doing it or or if you do find yourself in a category of, I'm kind of tired of just visiting locations and, and taking pretty pictures of some of the popular spots. You know, I want to find some of these lesser known places and get more serious about scouting. I think that there's almost a fear and you've been doing it this way for so long. What's the point of switching it now? And, and I think flipping that switch, um, really leads to a lot of enlightenment about, you know, appreciation for these places. Reading plaques in national parks has become secondary to many visiting locations. And they're there for you to gain a stronger appreciation and learn something about the location. Um, This is a, you know, an example that I've shared before, but if we go somewhere, if I, if I like travel somewhere, I'll take a few snapshots for sure. But if I'm in another culture for like a different country, I will try to do a tour, learn something about that culture, uh, figure out the do's and the, and the don'ts, what makes it tick, what makes it go, appreciations that the culture has and try to implement that into my images too. I think the exact same thing could be said for, for nature photography. Yeah, definitely. And you're doing everything that I feel like, you know, people should do. I, I, I haven't been to um, many other countries, but I think that I'd probably be doing, I'd probably be taking the same approach that you're taking. It's just, it's also, it's respectful, right? Mm-hmm. It's having some kind of background and knowing about it, I feel is important. Even some places like just, I like knowing about the mythology behind something like Mount St. Helens, which is pretty close to here. It, um, it's neat being able to tell people on workshops about it too, having the kind of you know Native American sort of background to it versus just, we're going to go shoot this iconic place and then I'm going to show you like a way to, to better process it. <laughs> what is the Native American background to it? For Mount St. Helens? Yeah. 
Um, so Mount St. Helens was, there's actually, uh, a couple different main stories for that. I shared an image and I wish I could bring it up for you here. Um, it's called, uh, let's see if I can bring it up really quick. Okay. So have you seen the image see yet under the stars with the Milky Way that I have mm -hmm. of Mount mm -hmm. St. Helens? Okay. So yet is one of the names that uh, Mount St. Helens was given from the tribe. And Lewitt is another one. There's actually a, um, a lookout point, um, a pullout that's very popular at Mount St. Helens called the Lewitt Point, I believe is, is what it is. But Siyet mm -hmm. um, is the Yakima tribal name for Mount St. Helens, and it means woman. And uh, she was a beautiful maiden, according to legend, placed on earth by the great spirit to protect the bridge of the gods on the Columbia River from Mount Adams and Mount Hood, which were called the Battling Brothers. Um, and it, you can read more about it, but I just feel like the sort of mysterious aura that Mount St. Helens has is very fitting with the tribal mythology because most of the time when I go there, you can't see her. She's hiding <laughs> and maybe I just have really bad luck, but she's always hiding in the clouds. And, mm. um, and then a lot of times she'll start to emerge from the clouds and she'll just go hide back under. It's just mm. like, it's, it's like, she's just being moody or something. But, um, I just think it's neat The if you go and read about, uh, see yet or Lewitt, which is, um, uh, L O O W I T. Um, mm. they, they describe her as being this beautiful woman pretty much, um, who, uh, has this sort of mysterious aura. And I think that that perfectly describes St. Helens <laughs> just in terms of what I've witnessed so far. Um, there's different mountain. I, I mean, you can go and look up, um, there's books and books of literature on the different mountains in the area and the different mythologies. So Mount Rainier has one too, which is Tahoma, right? Um, mm. That it's Tahoma is the general uh, Native American name for uh, Mount Rainier. And you can go read about that as well. I'm not sure how much you wanted me to speak about it on here. <laughs> no, I just, anytime somebody mentions something like historical about Look, I'm I'm kind of like a history buff, so I always want to know stuff that I don't know, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, mythology, the Native American uh, myths are really, some of them can be really out there and interesting. It's, uh, the, there's one for, um, what is it, Lake Crescent and Olympic National Park, where uh, there's like a monster living in the lake that would devour people. Um, and I don't know if it's because it's like an incredibly deep lake. It's one of the deepest lakes in North America, I believe, but it made all these people fearful for the longest time to go out there in boats because they thought this monster was going to come devour them from the lake. And I think it's because people would disappear out in the lake. I am, there must've been some incidences of the tribal members just disappearing late at night or, hmm. or something. That's fascinating. <laughs> Let's go back to your background in art history. Um, I, I'm curious to hear who, who are some of the painters or artists that have really given influence to some of your work? Oh, so I can, this is where it's going to sound like 
if I say Bierstadt, I feel like an idiot because Bierstadt is insane. I mean, if you've seen any of Albert Bierstadt's paintings, um, I can say that he influenced me, but I would never say that one of my images looks like a Bierstadt painting because mm. that's impossible to me. <laughs> um, the, his, the use of light, um, the Hudson River School painters, their, their use of light, dramatic light in their paintings is influential to me. That's, it's, they've been a great source of inspiration for me, but I would never say that um, as much as they've influenced me that any of my images looks like one of their works because I, if I could, let's just put it this way. And I, I know my husband feels the same way. If I could actually do that, if I could mm -hmm. paint that, I wouldn't be doing this. Like it's mm -hmm. insane what they're what they were able to convey in their paintings. But he it's said also, those exact words when we talked. Oh, <laughs> so um, Thomas Cole and Bierstadt and Thomas Moran. I mean, they what they're able to do is basically it's if you haven't if for anybody listening to this, if you haven't looked up um, the Hudson River School painters and what they were able to accomplish, I highly suggest doing so. It's way more interesting than anything I will say on this uh, podcast. But, um, but the first time I witnessed a painting uh, in art, my art history class was uh, I saw Among the Sierra Nevada, California, and uh, in the Rocky Mountains Landers Peak uh, on the screen that was up. And I was just blown away by it because I'd never seen anything like that. Um, I, I was, I was in Ohio, you know, and everything's flat there. <laughs> and like, I just yeah. didn't think anything like that was possible. Like I was just thinking this is a fantasy world that they created having never been out to, you know, the, the Pacific Northwest or the Rocky mountains. I didn't mm -hmm. realize, you know, that it can actually look like that too. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of uh, gravitated towards it and moved, I was really moved emotionally by it. I, I was transported to these areas that I had no idea was even possibly something that existed on this earth. They were these untainted, untainted places that existed and the human elements were so minuscule within them that, and that was what was so fascinating to me is how the humans were dominated by nature and usually in the case of Beershot, uh, the ones that I gravitated to were the ones with, with Native American elements within them. I didn't realize at the time that they were also making a statement in those paintings and their statement was what led to the conservation movement today. Um, Thomas, it was Thomas Moran, I believe. I get Thomas Moran and Thomas Cole confused in terms of this um, one specific point, but I believe it was actually Thomas Moran, whose work led to the formation of Yellowstone National Park. His paintings kind of set the tone and telling people, hey, this, is, this land is priceless. You know, this isn't something we should be building on, right? So their work was really important because um, they were telling people <laughs> during this time when Manifest Destiny was happening and the expansion uh, where people were moving out west, they were basically saying, 
yeah, you know, this is inevitable that this is going to happen where people are going to be building, but these there's certain places that really need to remain, right? There's certain places that need to be protected. Mm-hmm. When, when you're pulling that inspiration predominantly, is it happening in the field or more likely in post-processing? I'd say more likely in post-processing. Hmm. It's difficult to answer that because when it's something like, uh, <laughs> if I'm sitting there and there's a storm rolling through and all of a sudden rainbows appear, um, <laughs> then then it's actually when I'm out there and sure. in the field. Um, but it, you know, sometimes I might want to afterwards liven things up a little bit with the light mm-hmm. and make it more dramatic. And that's where that would come into play then, if that makes sense. So there's certain incidences where I feel like um, it's happening there and the moment you can see it unfolding before your eyes. And there's other times where I feel like, yeah, this has potential, right? I can maybe accentuate this a little bit and make it more dramatic in post-processing. Now, before we wrap up here, I did ask Ryan, your husband, um, what I, I should ask you during this interview. He thought long and hard about this. Um, and this is what he, he, he wanted me to ask you <laughs> to talk about the argument that y'all had when he wanted to go pro in photography. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> well, um, let's see. What is there to say about that? Uh, this was... <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't pretty. I'll say that much. But um, this was, geez, we hadn't even been together that long at the time. So he could, like, we could have easily just broken things off. He could have been like, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. So we really hadn't been together very long um, when this argument happened. I want to say we were maybe, geez, a half a year together or Mm -hmm. so. And um, so he's originally from the Portland area. uh, And I've been living up here in the greater Seattle area. And he came to move up north to to live with me and, um, and with my daughter. And, uh, and so he was trying to find work. And um, he's always been creative. And I just thought I was thinking of myself at the time, you know, he was kind of struggling at the time to find something that would just be a standard job, right? Just Mm -hmm. a standard position. And, um, and I was like, you know, if anybody can do this for a living full time, it's you, you've, you've got the talent for it. You've got the right kind of personality. You get along with people, you know, you can, you can do this. And, he got really upset thinking there was no way that he'd be able to do this, that he was going to fail miserably. And I just said, you don't know until you, you know, just give it a try, you know, take it. It's not going to happen overnight. You know, it's probably going to take a couple of years for you mm-hmm. to really get going. But I bet you after a year, you're going to really within a year or so, you're really going to start to notice that that things are changing. And please, you know, it's really important for you to try. I'm not going to back out on my word. I really believe you can do this. And he just didn't believe he could. So he had this 
horrible argument. And he was just, you know, you know, his anxiety was coming out and, and I, I pretty much pushed him into it. <laughs> I said he had to do it. And, um, and you know what, I, I gotta say that it was the good decision. Uh, look where he's at now. So it, it seems like it was the right way for him to go. And I can't imagine him doing anything else. I really can't, you know, as much as there's things that he doesn't like about it. Um, he's like me, as far as the social media aspect and where that can get draining. Um, it's, this is what he should be doing. You know, it's, it's, it's what he was meant to be doing. <laughs> and I, I don't think that he, when he was telling you that you should ask me about it, I, I would think he agrees with that point. Yeah. And honestly, the way he framed it, it didn't, I didn't expect it to turn that way. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I thought it would it. be more like he wanted to do it and you were, I, I don't know, one party wanted to do it. One party was concerned about the finances or something like that. I knew that, you know, no matter what we were going to have, you know, it was, we were just starting out together and uh, I had just started a new job myself. And, um, and so things were kind of tight, but I knew that if he should be doing anything, like if he was going to be really successful long-term with anything and really have the passion and drive to do it too, that that is what he should be doing. And he just, for some reason thought, he just had this thought in his mind, like, well, you know, I might, I might not be able to do this. You know, I might not be able to make enough income with it, or I might, you know, I might fail at this. So I just kind of had to nudge him. And, um, and so, yeah, it was very much the opposite. I, I pretty much told him he had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> do you two balance each other well in the field when you're shooting? I think we do. Um, I think that, uh, we're very different. He, has a tendency, Ryan has a tendency to uh, stay put and uh, kind of find what he likes. Not always, but he seems to just kind of like find this spot and and that's where he's gonna be for a while. And for me, I have a tendency to move around a lot mm -hmm. um, because I, not, not really that I get distracted easily, but um, I just, I'll be like, oh, what's that over there? You know, I just, you know, like that looks really good too. Or I'll be following, um, and he does the same if the light, you know, if the light starts changing. Um, but we're, we get interested in different things, which I think is really good. Um, and he, you know, he'll focus on some of the smaller scenes as well, but it seems like that, that typically will be more what I'm drawn into um, on any given time that we're together. The great thing is that we don't generally end up in the same spot. We mm -hmm. will find our own little place and we just kind of have this understanding between each other that that's what we're going to do. Um, and we just kind of go off and do our own thing. Well, she's Candace Dyer. Candace, thank you so much for coming on and, and honestly being so candid and, and honest about everything. Thank you for having me. <laughs>